0: Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm
2: a powerlifter, a Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and USSF.
3: And this is John Mike. I am finishing up my doctorate in exercise as a team member and columnist for EliteFTS.com, and I write for major fitness and bodybuilding magazines.
0: Yes, you do. Hey, everyone. Today, we have just been inundated with um, listener mail. And that's a good thing. It, it's a way to bring up topics. Uh, in fact, I was going back and forth with one of the gentlemen and saying, you know, this is a good way we can actually uh, repeat some of this stuff, even if we talked about it before, because, you know, individual case studies usually have little nuances to them and all that sort of thing. But So we have news and we have uh, lots of listener mail. Um, I'm just going to offer a caveat in the beginning. I could not get to all of it. I... I think we received over a dozen uh, listener responses this week. And Rob's sending me a bunch. And so if we don't get to yours, uh, we will try. Or I think you guys who did send us stuff, you know I do my best to get back to you, uh, you know, in a timely manner. So So what's going on uh, in and around the news? Strength and Muscle Sport News. Well, listeners, the first thing is last week. Uh, Or uh, a couple weeks ago, rather, we had a professor on who was talking about his research and everything. And he has a web page that I stumbled across where he's been documenting some of the um, issues of rhabdo, rhabdomyolysis, which is massive sort of muscle breakdown and even the risk of acute renal failure and that sort of stuff in CrossFitters. And I know we've got some iTunes reviews who have said, oh, you guys are, you know, you misinform people about CrossFit, but we've, we've heard it from many different people who do it or who study it. We try to provide a balanced, I guess, perspective with this stuff. But, um, yeah, it was Chad, actually, Chad Kurtzick who is, I think is where I got this. So this one is entitled, um, Rhabdomyolysis in a Well-Trained Woman After Unusually Intense Exercise. Uh, This is a case report. It says a 35-year-old woman was acutely hospitalized with edema of the upper limbs, reduced force, severe movement reduction, and muscle pain in both upper extremities. Uh, Her symptoms started after three days of intense exercise involving kayaking and a lot of pull-ups in CrossFit, it says. Uh, And and then it goes on about, it talks about, you know, rhabdo is characterized by muscle damage and necrosis and... um, Myoglobinuria, you know, dark-colored urine, uh, yep. you know, that kind of thing, and um, I don't know. It, this is uh, 2014. This is back from June, but this is a 2014 paper, and uh, again, it goes back to the sort of those T-shirts and stuff. You know, that what what do they say? Stuff like uh, your workout is my warm-up, and you know that kind of stuff. And then we've had guests on the show before, of course, like Melissa Trainer was on talking about you can't be all intensity all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, you know, that sort of thing. Phil's been talking about peaking, you know, and peaking means peaking. (laughs) There's got to be a valley on either side. Anyway, so uh, that's the first one. And let me bring this one up to you guys then, because this is somewhat related. And you guys can chime in with anything you know about this, because I do not. This is from uh, David, uh, and it just says, I've read with interest your article, Keep the Iron on the Bar. Uh, There was an article that was written about how... I wrote about how men don't need excess iron. You know, it's the only nutrient really that men only need, like eight milligrams a day. Women need 18, you know, uh, premenopausal age women. Anyway, so um, he's an older guy, and um, I'm going to leave some of this vague, but he's been training for 50 years, so good on you, buddy. Wow, it's awesome. Um, but he says, I've, I've trained regularly during this time. Um, I've never been a competitive bodybuilder or taken any drugs or other supplements. Wow. So um, it says, uh, I have also uh, alternated my weight training with aerobic activity, like running and power walking and that sort of thing. Um, He's a good-sized guy, uh, but he's (coughs) concerned because uh, he's had some routine blood tests. And for the last 10 years, all of his liver function tests have been in the normal range. And again, I think one thing we have to be careful with right off the bat here is that a lot of physicians, or at least some they'll look at certain enzymes spilling into your blood, and they'll think they're from your liver or maybe your yep. heart. And they're actually coming from <laughs> sore muscles. Uh, yep. So unless they run an isoform test, which is not as standard, they won't know that. But um, my reason for contacting you is that uh, on a recent blood test, uh, the doctor checked my ferritin level, uh, which I had never done before, and despite all the other you know, enzyme function tests and liver function tests or whatnot um, being normal uh, iron levels, Uh, Let's see, my ferritin was very high. Uh, I've had this test done three more times since, and despite abstaining from alcohol, uh, the level has remained much the same. And for people who don't know, things like alcohol and vitamin C can increase uh, iron absorption. Um, uh, I've had a test for hemochromatosis, and again, I need to define that. That's just when you have so much iron overload that your liver becomes damaged. Right. Um, uh, and whilst being found to be a single gene carrier, I do not actually have the condition so I've num- read a number of articles on liver function tests and weight trainers. I'd be very interested in your opinion on whether or not my weight training could be affecting my high ferritin. Now, my dissertation was on eccentric work, and i I've measured a lot of stuff, but John, your current work is yeah. on training and muscle recovery and eccentric work. Are you familiar with you know muscle soreness and micro trauma causing high ferritin?
3: You know, that's a really good question, and and I am not. I have never come across anything about eccentric exercise and ferritin. And, and you know, when you're reading the, the guy's questions, I mean, one of the first things that comes to mind is, is it, you know, right off the bat is just age, right? I mean, when you get older, you know, your, your recovery ability is less, um, and, you know, maybe maybe he's not sleeping good. But also, too, you know, something that most people don't think about, when you do a lot of volume, you have to do a tremendous amount of volume you know, probably the volume uh, exhibited by, you know, highly trained bodybuilders and, and competitors, but even maybe more so, you know, cause so more volume coupled with eccentric exercise is going to give you more muscle damage. And plus, if you're doing things that require more time under tension. You know, which is one of three main factors that exhibit, you know, facilitate muscle hypertrophy. The time under tension with eccentrics is also going to cause more damage. So I'm not really sure if he's doing, you know, what his time under tension and, and his volume is like. But if though, if, if they're, you know, normal, failure normal compared to most people, I mean, I've just never heard of eccentric exercise causing a massive increase in ferritin levels.
0: Yeah. The closest I can get would be like myoglobin. You know, you get the yeah. type one endurance fibers if they get really sore. You know, yep. you'll dump myoglobin, and that would be iron-containing, and then maybe the ferritin would grab some of that iron, and it would be elevated. It's it's hard to guess, yeah, you know, I'm and sure. we're not giving medical I mean, advice, obviously, here, but...
3: Right. I mean, I mean, you know, when you're talking about elevated myoglobin, extreme muscle soreness is just like more indicative of, you know, rhabdomyolysis. I mean, and, and if you're, you know, what what's his... I like to be curious of what his urine color is, because if it's really dark, I mean, obviously, he needs to go to the hospital, but... Um, so yeah, I've just I've just never heard of eccentric exercise and, and increased well, ferritin levels.
2: I got uh, I found something here. There's a, an article about on Medscape iron status of young males and fe- females performing weight training exercise, um, and it references 27 articles on iron and weight training. Um, so and there's a few of them where it says that that your ferritin levels went up. Um, especially in older population. So I don't know. He can look at this, but then they said it was uninclusive. They couldn't get it to happen again. Um, in a follow-up step. but is the did.
0: author? Who's the author? Phil, can you see it? Uh, the
2: author is VCA, geez, there's Well, there's like eight of them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Laura M. Roberts, Michael Kushnick, Allison Evans, Kristen Austin, yeah, Emily Haynes. I'm looking at that now, actually. Um, and yeah, there was a study by uh, Murray and Klob. That observed increased ferritin after twelve weeks of weight training in older males and females. However, such a change was not observed in current investigation. There's several of those. I mean, it's worth looking at, but I mean, yeah. everything that I see, it's
0: it's inconclusive. It's like, well, you know, uh, I will say this: we're we are talking about this before we hit the record button today, everybody. But when you're a hard trainer. Um you are somewhat outside the realm of normal ranges in th- certain things. You know, mm-hmm. like we tend to eat extra protein and our BUNs go up, you know, blood, urea, yeah. nitrogen. That's just going to be higher than the average person. It's not because you're in renal failure. It's just because right. you have a lot of muscle mass, which is protein tissue, partly, of course, and uh you're eating more protein and that sort of yeah. thing. So you have to be careful interpreting some of these tests. I mean, I, I suppose a physician would say if you're really concerned about iron overload, Uh, By the way, iron overload, and not just hemociderosis or hemochromatosis, but getting too much iron absorbed, and for that matter, creating too many red blood cells, which is a different Mm -hmm. but similar situation, those are very common genetic traits, and there's some of that in my family, in fact. Um, But the the point is, um, any physician who's concerned about iron overload, and by the way, all men get a little bit of iron overload. If you look at ferritin and iron content in the body between mid-teen years and middle-age years... Uh, it just goes up, up, up because men don't bleed every month like women. We don't have a menstrual mm-hmm. cycle, so it builds up on us. So I donate blood fairly regularly. Uh, I don't know if that's an option, but sometimes you can get medical phlebotomy done too. If they're like, well, you know, you can't have any blood abnormalities, we can't use you at the Red Cross, then you know, um, there are actually men in my family that go get medical phlebotomies done to try to get mm-hmm. their hematocrits down. And you know what, guys, <laughs> listeners, who if you use androgens. Um, you need to get your hematocrit and your hemoglobin levels checked anyway. And if you know you got a hemoglobin up around 18, 19, or your hematocrits over fifty, you know the packed part of your blood, you're whether it's for iron purposes or just getting those cells out of there, donating blood is not a bad idea because when you lower your hematocrit, um, yeah. you get better blood flow. You, you do. know, yeah, less blood viscosity, less blood thickness. Right on. So I wish we had better information um, i guess phil
2: came through with that one baby nice well plus i mean if you donate blood and you're on antigens whoever gets that is going to be happy <laughs> <That's,
3: can> you are <laughs> oh, the have old somebody lady heal up <laughs> <You're right. Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she hops up out of the bed
3: woo <laughs> i feel
0: better so everybody's yeah, yeah. remarkably like yeah. Her, her bones healed all the trauma's <laughs> are gone I don't know. it's <laughs> it's funny okay um, we we got a lot of mail about um muscle gain and fat loss and you know we revisit this topic a lot but like i said sometimes when you when you see news or mail you know it's just another way to address it but let me share a couple of news bits that are related to this as well this one is from lab roots and lab roots is not direct they sort of point to other articles this one's source is live science.com but it says want weight loss tips beware top search engine results um, apparently about a third of Americans, let's see, are overweight. We know that. Uh, so it's not surprising that around 40% of Americans search online for tips on weight loss and exercise, uh, according to research published in the journal of medical internet research. I'm not familiar with that journal, but okay. It says, but the problem is that most of the links on the first page of that Google search lead to unreliable sources. And again, this is a study about it. Um, and commercial websites that market unrealistic weight loss products and techniques, the study found. Uh, it says, for the study, Mo Dave and the team of researchers asked volunteers who were interested in losing weight which search terms they would use to find information online. It says researchers also chose key phrases like, you know, weight loss or lose weight, things like that, and then let Google autocomplete the searches. Um, in total, they used 30 different search queries uh, related to weight loss, and then they just clicked on a, the first few websites. But apparently, that first page is not a good place to look. So, if only we can get people to Iron Radio, <laughs> where we're rational. I don't know, but so it's you know with search engine optimization, everybody fighting to get to the top of the list. Uh, it's not surprising that the cur- commercial, you know, groups are getting to the top of that first page. I don't. I don't know. Phil, do you ever have somebody come to you and say, "Hey, I went online and"? should I use this or sh- what What about that program or? Oh yeah. You know, I
2: get that all the time. I got people walking in with muscle and fitness
0: programs and yeah.
2: whatever, you know, here, yeah. I printed this off. What do you think? Was, oh God. Right. Um, but no, I, yeah, you punch and lose weight. Like I, I just did it. And like the first website that pops up is com. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's chocolate coated weight loss.
0: So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, this just says it, it's important to pay attention to the credentials of those responsible for the website. Um, yeah. That should be a no-brainer. But people, you know, we were just saying that the other week. you got to consider the source because that's, mm-hmm. not, that's not good. All right, uh, there's another one here. This is also a news blurb. Um, this is from PBS, um, pbs.org. Could coffee help prevent obesity's uh, negative side effects? So a lot of people, of course... My mind immediately drifts toward caffeine and maybe fat mobilization and that sort of thing. But it says researchers at the University of Georgia conducted two sets of experiments to determine the preventive or the therapeutic effects of chlorogenic acid, or CGA. So that's one of the things that interests me more and more about coffee. In fact, our own research, we're using coffee instead of pre-workouts because it's dopaminergic. It can... you know, get some of these um, sort of hormonal neurotransmitter responses that you might not get with other things, you know, because coffee is not just liquid caffeine. Um, Mm. It says in the first experiment, a group of mice was fed a high fat diet while receiving twice daily injections of chlorogenic acid. Mm. I I don't inject my coffee, but okay. In the second experiment, a group of already obese mice was treated with uh, CGA injections. So one group they fed high-fat diet, made them fat. The other group was already obese. Researchers found that CGA significantly reduced obesity-related insulin resistance and the fatty liver in both sets of mice. It says while the study, um, the while the body weight of the obese mice that were treated with CGA did not change, the CJ injections prevented the onset of obesity in the mice that were lean at the beginning, uh, even when they gave them the high-fat diet. So, so chlorogenic acid, that's very interesting. And I believe that's higher in the green coffee. Um so there are things in coffee, phytochemicals, you know, P H Y T O, phytochemicals that are apparently pretty good for you. Mm. So.
2: But the thing is they're they're you know, they're going IV with it.
0: Right. No so. well it's animals <laughs> and they're injected with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. but it begs but, the question: maybe, uh, yeah. maybe a dietary supplement will come out where they concentrate that. You know, yeah. and you can swallow large amounts, and hopefully, you can absorb enough. I don't know. Actually, yeah, we're going to give our rational thoughts on all kinds of research today, everybody, because there's a lot of um, a lot of controversial stuff going around. Uh, Let's get to this one from Joe. This is uh, both a study and uh, a bit of listener mail. He says, hey, Dr. Lowry, Iron Radio supporter here. Have you seen this new study yet? Body composition changes associated with fasted versus non-fasted aerobic exercise. Um, Joe says, so according to the study, fasted cardio may not be all that much better than fed cardio after all. Pretty interesting. (laughs) So... Just to help with conclusions, one of the things uh, I'm going to start with, and I know Phil and and John will have their comments, but uh, science, uh, any one paper, any one study is reductionist. You know, they're going to have to set some uh, delimiters on exactly what they're doing. So when you pull the paper, this is uh, Brad Schoenfeld uh, and colleagues here from 2014. Uh, The journal is... The ISSN, yeah, yeah. Um, journal of the ISSN. Uh, it's been hypothesized that performing aerobic exercise after an overnight fast accelerates the loss of body fat. So the purpose of this study was to investigate changes, um, you know, in fat mass and fat-free mass after four weeks of volume-equated fasted versus fed cardio. So first of all, four weeks is arguably below the minimum threshold, I would argue, to, to assess these sorts of things. Now, it depends on what kind of equipment you're using. There are things like DEXA or MRI that could probably pick it up. But I don't want listeners to think that you could do skin folds pre and post four weeks and really get anything that meaningful. Uh, what yeah, do you guys especially
3: think? When there's, I mean, especially when there's the inherent you know, uh, error rate, too, especially with skin folds. I mean, you're still looking at 3.5%.
0: Exactly. Well, yeah.
3: Well,
2: and the fact that you know, there's no doubt that you've taken two groups of subjects, one of them, you know, they're both starting a diet and cardio. They're both going to lose. And they both, you know, can. there's, yep. in, in a four-week plan, there's going to be a, even a small amount of variance
0: is big over time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, so, so like John's saying, I mean, plus or minus three or four percent, mm-hmm. I mean, so let's say you lost two to three percent of your body fat in that four weeks, Bod Pod is not sensitive enough. Underwater weighing or skin folds, they're not really sensitive enough to reliably pick that up because they're plus or minus 2 or 3%. Right.
3: I mean, and and I know like better technologies. I mean, there's also InBody, which has been more popular in the last year. So that's supposed to be, that's supposed to have a reliability of like 99, 98%. Yeah. But it's it's just like, it's just like, um, it's a a bio impedance measure, obviously, but it's a little bit more um, reliable.
0: Is that what they used? What did they no, use? No, no, no. They
3: actually used bod pod. I actually had the methods right in front of me, if you want to. I can
0: oh, them. okay. Well, four so, weeks um, with a bod pod, I, I'm a little concerned about that. Um, but they took 20 healthy young females, too. Right. And yeah, again, so. They, so, so they,
3: go ahead. Yeah, they took uh, 20 females, and they did pre and post body fat. They used the bod pod, and they did a match-pair design. And so they had two groups, of fasted. A group that did exercise after an overnight fast, so I had so 20 subjects, so 10 subjects per group, and then the non-fasted group that consumed a meal prior to training. So the meals were actually uh, in the form of like a shake, like a Diamy's nutrition. So it had 250 calories, uh, 40 grams of carbs, 20 grams of protein, 0. 0.5 grams of fat. So the training was carried out three days a week, an hour per session on a treadmill. Subjects perform a five-minute warm-up followed by 50 minutes of walking or jogging at 70% max heart rate. And then a five-minute cool down um, was done after the session. Um, so basically, they, they, they chose the protocol because previous evidence shows that the lipid oxidation during the fasted, aerobic exercise is maximized during low to moderate moderate intensity, you know, um, steady uh-huh. state types of cardio versus high intensity, which well, that's, that's true. And most of this stuff, is as I'm not sure people really know, all this stuff kind of started – in the uh, in the late mid late 90s, with Bill Phillips' book, you know, Body for Life, and um, talking about how overnight fast has a greater effect on fat loss, you know, than an hour of cardio performed after a meal. So that's kind of where the background information. Well, you know,
0: John, let me comes offer from. something else too, though. I mean, yeah. Phil was mentioning how bodybuilders have done this for years, and I can, t- and you know this too. If you yeah. go in the lab first thing in the morning, I've seen this with my own two eyes many times. Is your fat oxidation is much higher? I mean, I've actually. Put this online before. I've written articles on for um, T Nation and some of those guys. I mean, if you get on a treadmill first thing in the morning, something like eighty to ninety percent of the calories in the fuel mix is directly fat burning. You know, you're you're burning a much larger percentage of fat. So what these guys are, I don't think they they could argue uh, that. I mean, that's like a truth of exercise physiology, right? That when you're fasted, uh, you. You burn more fat in your fuel mix, right everybody burns carbs and fats in a certain proportion. Protein's not a preferred fuel um, and then when you 're fast in the morning acutely there's no debate you 're right you're a, if you just burned thirty grams of fat uh, after some fasted cardio and you might have only burned five or ten grams of fat if you weren't fasted because you were relying on the carbs that you had just eaten mm-hmm. but so he 's trying to say. Does this actually lead to more leanness over, over time. time? Yeah. Right. So.
3: Yeah, and I mean they 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 provided you know meal plans that induce like you know 500 calorie you know types of deficit, and they and they, they had the subjects record their food intake via you know my Fitness Pal, which most people use anyway, and it's very it's a pretty good software program. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, you know one of the one of the issues is that. They they lost a significant statistically lost a significant amount of weight and it's only saying you know one point six kg versus one point zero kg, but you know as most people know statistic statistically significant is very different from practical significance. Okay, so typically there's 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 not many differences that were noted between any of the groups. So it's it, as of right now. there's really, like, not much difference, okay? And I know people take that way out of context and start, you know, doing their own bias theories and all that other stuff, but there's certainly some limitations with the study, just like there is with all studies. You know, just like you said, Lonnie, it's only four weeks long, you know, and typically it's just not enough time to see, you know, long-term types of changes with these types of studies. I mean, you need 12 weeks, 16 Mm weeks, you know, 20, 24 weeks, whatever. (sighs) You know, and and I know they use females... You know, which is not a—it's not really a, a problem, but one of the confounding variables when you work with females in research studies is their monthly menstrual cycle because that can induce body weight, you know, shifts uh-huh. in, because of the fluid changes that, that happen every month. So it's hard to kind of, you know, uh, know if there's any differences in fat loss or lean body mass. You know, John, mass. let
0: me chime t- in on that too because all body composition estimation techniques. Are vulnerable to water changes. Uh, so if right. j- somebody might say, "Oh, yeah, that's water," they measured fat. Well, yes, but bod pod and some of these other tests—they are vulnerable to fluctuations in hydration status. So yeah, oh, that's, sure. that's a good yeah, point. It's like the,
3: yeah, all the impedance measures—I mean, they're all just kind of based around you
0: know total body water changes and things like that. Or even body density tests. You yep. know what I mean? So yeah, yep. So um, anyway, so maybe controversial. I think people might be. Buying into that too much because you just need to remember the golden rule, right? You shouldn't change your practice based on a single new study. I mean, yeah. Phil doesn't do it, I don't do it, John doesn't do it. You know, so I
3: think they did. A, I think they did. You know, I got to commend and respect anybody that does you know research studies, but I think they did a, a good job. I thought the method section was really good and thorough, um, but I mean, obviously it has limitations, just like every other study. But I think it's just another piece of the uh, you know of the puzzle, you know, that people can kind of you know take for what it is, and, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what other studies of, of this nature, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's
2: a yeah. good first yeah. step. Now, Absolutely. somebody take this to the next level.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Know? And you know what? That's <sighs> by no means am I saying, oh, this is so poor. I'm just saying science is reductionist, right? It can mm-hmm. be a good study, but it answers a very small question. And the only question that's getting answered right now, according to their hypothesis, right, is do women over four weeks – you know, have differences in body fat and fit with fed versus fasted cardio, you know, so all the over concluding are people who extrapolate, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, fasted cardio doesn't work. I mean, there's lots of uh, reasons uh, to consider one or the other. I mean, to me, they're both tools, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know. Um, it's again, not bad. It's just be careful over concluding because if anything, I think I'm pointing a finger at the Internet, you know, and sort of the, right. the gut reaction response mm-hmm. to it um oh i
3: know i mean when this hit social media this week i mean god there were just hundreds and hundreds of comments mm-hmm. you know hundreds of shares i think one of the best things that people can do when you have a study like this that comes out um is it's funny how you know people you know can you know defriend you on facebook because mm-hmm. it, just, it, it interferes with their own biased opinions mm-hmm. they're not yeah. looking at the the overall evidence that things show I think one of the best things that people can do is just kind of take this and just experiment and try some different things that may work for you.
0: Yeah, because the truth is, I mean, if you're rational, you change your conclusions with new evidence. I've always been a fan of pre-breakfast cardio, you know, but but if like Phil said, if a step two and three comes out and they're like, listen, there's just no difference. Even though you're burning more fat at the time on the treadmill, because that's not even up for debate. Mm-hmm. Um, if over the course of the day some homeostasis just corrects it and you don't lose any more fat, well then, damn it, I'm going to get up and have some eggs and, or uh, you know <laughs> some toast or something before I get on the treadmill. I don't know. Yeah. You know less painful yeah. that way. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, we got a lot more coming at you, so we're going to go to break here, and when we come back, we have more listener mail and news. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press and Protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty-nine US dollars. So that's thirty-one percent off the ninety-nine ninety-five uh cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty-nine dollars. I think that's gonna drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people, and you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks.
3: Some of us don't understand how lucky we
1: are to be living in this. Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rating in your thoughts. Every week for four years now, it's been our privilege to bring you weekly news, experts, and gym talk. Did you know that now roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of Iron count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes... We are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it.
0: All right, everybody, we are back. It's Lonnie and Phil and Big John Mike, and we are wading through a lot of listener mail, Uh, we're going to try to wind things uh, down in a reasonable time here. Uh, I want to first do something very quickly, though. Uh, We have had some great supporting members. uh, At mid-show, you just heard an ad for the holiday season uh, about it being that time of the year where, if your thoughts turn to giving, um, this is a show where we try to be As humble as possible, give as much information. Well, maybe we're cocky sometimes, but you get the idea. And give good information based on what's happening, whether it's news or opinion or just talk from experts that we have on the show. And we've had a couple of people, Michael, Brian, a couple of people make significant donations or others become full-time supporting members. That's the kind of stuff that allows us to do several things like uh, upgrade audio equipment. We're on two servers right now. I just want people to know where some of this goes. It is true that a portion of Iron Radio's funds go to philanthropic kinds of things. Like, uh, we'll probably be able to sponsor, not some huge sponsorship, but sponsor one or two Iron Radio-approved athletes, you know, to train for a particular big event, you know, that sort of thing. Or even in research. In fact, let me toss this out to everybody, uh, but I have recently been turned onto a place called experiment.com and i'm going to explore this i know not everybody who listens are equally uh geeky you know academics but it's like kickstarter for nerds right and it got me to thinking that we could do something like this through iron radio so if you are inclined to make a donation and you are one of those listeners that's more on the academic side uh If you could contact, send Rob an email or send something to me uh, through our website, ironradio.org, and say, listen, I am making this donation specifically to support Dr. Lowry's research. I will, instead of taking a little bit off of our usual fund, I will earmark that. And the reason I I want to do this is, is thus. Crowdfunding is big. You know, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding. So instead of going to beg the National Institutes of Health for a grant, I can do something practical, like the caffeine work that we're doing, and we do need some support for this. Uh, As of right now, we don't have quite enough funds to do as much of the analyses as we need. So if you do want to make a donation and earmark it uh, to me because you're really interested in research, I will give you updates, lab notes, a graph or two, while the research unfolds. So just like Kickstarter does this at different levels, uh, for example, if you can donate... $50, Fifty dollars. Uh, I'll give you an update at the end of the study about some of the gold nuggets of what we found. If you can donate a hundred dollars, then maybe I'll give you monthly updates, that sort of thing. You know, or I hesitate for our listenership to say a two hundred dollar level, but if you did something like that, then I'd give you monthly updates, and I even acknowledge you uh, as a supporter on the research itself. And what we're doing is we're we're trying to answer the question: Are people using coffee wrong, or are are people using caffeine wrong? And that's a bit of an overstatement, but we have been making some very interesting uh, observations in the lab. Let's just say that instead of getting a nine or ten or twelve percent jump in performance, you might be able to get a thirty-five to fifty percent jump in performance if you do it right. Uh, and we're looking at lots of uh, EMG and like adrenaline levels and all kinds of interesting things to try to figure out not just if it's happening, but why. So we just had a, a study in the earlier part of the show about some of the great things coffee does. And there are some new coffee products that do some very cool things. Uh, so if you're interested in funding research, that's my little spiel to you. You can earmark it for some of this research. Or for that matter, you could earmark it for a sponsorship you know of an athlete you know so if strength guild and phil wants to try to pick the right person deserving person to go uh put that in your email i'd like to see it go here or there that helps us guide some of this we're not exactly rolling in funds people but Mm -hmm. the little bit we have we want to give back we're actually doing what we say we're doing with this money we're not just uh i don't know hanging out and kicking back and you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> beers and stogies yeah. in in the bahamas yeah. or something i don't know <laughs> except for john maybe john doesn't yeah. no not me <laughs> okay all right well sorry for that but we're a public radio format so we got to bring that up all right back to some of the news here or the rather the the listener mail this next guy is from peter uh peter says hello dr lowry i'm an avid listener of iron radio um uh, I'm a fan of your the podcast's level-headed, scholarly, evidence-based approach to fitness and strength sports. So you go, Peter. A uh, recently purchased Tom Venuto's um, Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle is what he's going to talk about here. My goal is to lose body fat at my present soft 230 pounds at 6'2". Uh, I've been casually training for several years, but I want to change my physique down to a leaner one that's 10 to 12% fat. So this almost is reminiscent to me of like what you see some of the well-known power lifters do. They kind of almost go toward bodybuilder-esque sorts of things. Um, I am reaching out to you for any recommendation that you guys might have um, and willing to share. My plan is to stick to a 2200 calorie per day diet and five lifting slash cardio sessions per week before I perform uh, one body part lifting followed by 20 to 30 minutes of cardio. It says, Iron Radio has recently focused on the training and activities of the hosts and guests. Uh, it might be interesting for listeners to return to maybe a theme based approach. I very much enjoyed those theme shows where a topic gets selected and then you talk about some programming toward it. Um, and back and forth with Peter, I was talking about, for example, we did a show on overload. You know, there's lots mm-hmm. of ways to overload, not just the bar, but. Frequency, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, this, so he suggested this would allow the show to focus our expertise on, on programs for, you know, particular goals. So, uh, what do you guys think? If he's, um, I'm not familiar with burn the fat, feed the muscle. Are you, Phil? No. Okay. Um, I've, heard, I've heard of it, but I've, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar with it. Okay. So, if his goal is to lose fat, you know, so he's a big dude, 6'2, 230. Um, mm. And he wants to get down to 10 to 12% fat. I'm sure he wants to keep hold on to his strength. Um, what do you think about the 2,200 calories a day and the 5- In my opinion, that's cardio? low. I think that's really that's low. That's way too. low to start at. Where are you going to go?
2: Okay.
3: Okay, yeah. <laughs> because over time, you're going to have to, I mean, we've talked about this before, over time, and God, 2,200 calories, that's low. I mean, you're going to have mm-hmm. to decrease calories more and more as the weeks go on. Yes. And then it's just, I mean, you, you just dig yourself into the ground. Yeah,
2: my, my girls losing weight or eating that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's a big dude too. Peter's big. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, and that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would think more around thirty-two to start. Yeah, I, you would know?
3: Say, I would say 3,000 to thirty-five hundred. most college guys need 000, three, three 3,500 right. just to walk around campus and yeah, do right. activities.
0: Yeah. Right. Let me offer this. Um, <clears throat> I would, if I were you, Peter, I would jot down what I'm eating. You got to get some baseline, right? Just like mm-hmm. Phil will do an assessment, or John will. You got to assess. Like you don't just say. Okay, you're going to start benching two and a quarter, then we'll move you up to 250 and then 275. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Let's figure out what your one rep max is now. You know, Let's figure out where we're at now or your 10 rep max. Same thing with this. Let's figure out where your calories are now. So you write down a diet log. You can actually go, by the way, to uh, myplate.gov. There's a free diet analyzer there if you can find it. It's not really convenient uh, or obvious, but you can find it. Supertracker.gov, MyPlate.gov. You could poke around on those websites and find find this, and you can enter data by breakfast, lunch, dinner, that kind of thing, uh, and it'll give you uh, your calorie current calorie intake. So then I would suggest, uh, like these guys are saying, you don't just immediately cut that number in half. You cut a, about five to eight hundred calories off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so if it's thirty two hundred, you might drop down to twenty seven hundred. You know, something like that. Uh, and then hold it there for a couple of weeks because, like Phil was saying, it's – in fact, in the early days of the show, we talked about this. You can only go left so far before you have to come back right. And when guys jump, they go so far to the left. In other words, they go so low on the calories. They've mm-hmm. got nowhere to progress like you guys were just yeah. saying. So, Yeah, they don't, any, they, don't have, they don't have any
3: cushion.
2: Yeah.
0: Here's, here's something, though.
2: Lonnie, have you had this problem? Like, I'll do the same thing with people. It's like, okay, so you want to start a diet? Great write me down three days of what you eat. The problem I found with that is like the minute they're writing it down, now they're conscious about it and they're not really eating what they normally eat. Like, you know, the minute they're writing it down, they're like, Oh, I better skip those cookies and chips, you know? Right. (laughs) And that's, so you need to write down an average day is what I try to tell them. Don't change a thing.
0: You know, that's right. In fact, I Um, usually suggest two weekdays and one weekend day because we eat differently on the weekends. Most Mm -hmm. of us, you know, but you're right. Underreporting, is a thing, right? Yeah. Oh, I wish they we behave. could get like little gnomes, like I could just
2: assign them. You're going to follow this guy, secretly write okay. down right. everything he eats. Right.
0: <laughs> you know those drones, those little yeah. drones now that they're going to be doing. A the little nutrition drone. Yep. Spied on. <laughs> Sign up and I'm going to allow the nutrition drone to spy on me. So, yeah. Yep. But even then, like you said, maybe they're not just lying on the form. They're just, they're eating clean on purpose. You know, yeah, I'm going to reach for some more meal. conscious now. Yeah. 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 So. so if you can do it that's a good point. If you can be honest with yourself because we need to get baseline. See, and that's where nutrition's a little different from I talked about assessments like if you want to get your bench press max so you, so you can start your assessment baseline and start a training program, you can't really fake a one rep max on the bench. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, you could lie about it, yeah, but you know, you you would miss the lift in other mm-hmm. words. But with nutrition yeah, you could do impossible, you could write down impossible things and say that's how I'm eating. But if you're honest, yeah, you shave that 5 to 800 calories. Mm-hmm. I actually once wrote an article on T Nation. It's probably still up called restriction contradiction. And that with the whole point of that was the, the people the harder you restrict, the more your metabolism will slow down beyond a certain point. So I did a big lit review and again, it looks like 6 or 800 calories is a ballpark off an average guy's diet. Uh, our our women listeners, that might even be too much for you, you know. Because if you're starting at 2,400, I don't think I'd be t- pulling six or eight hundred off of that, C- you know. Because boom, you're down to rock bottom. In yeah. fact, in clinical dietetics, we've often had a rule of thumb that anything under 1,200 calories, you can't even get your RDA for different vitamins and minerals at that point, you know. Because mm-hmm. you reach for the orange to get your vitamin C at the end of the day, and you're like, oh, I'm already at my ceiling. I can't go anymore. I can't eat the orange. So you can't even get the micronutrients at 1200 or less. So the whole point is, yeah, that's how people when they prepare for physique competitions start your baseline, you know, and then you got to decide what am I going to restrict to pull those calories out? Is it fats or carbs? And most competitors, I mean, a lot of people may disagree, but most competitors are pulling out carbs these days. Mm-hmm. So if you pull out like a hundred grams of carbs out of your daily diet, um, that's 400 kcal, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you pull out the hundred grams, and then you wait for a couple of weeks, three or four weeks, and then you pull out maybe another fifty grams. You know that kind of thing, and then it, like these guys are saying, gives you a place to go, um, and then you can also add in cardio of your choice. And again, I'm a fan of both fasted steady state stuff, you know, at a mild pace, like an outdoor, um, like light walk jog thing, mm. or wear an X vest, you know, put on a twenty or forty pound X vest, do it and do it, or Do some sprints, you know. um, I would not be doing the sprints if I felt strung out from the weights, though. You know, one of the reasons I like the lighter cardio and the direct fat oxidation approach uh, is uh, there is a lot of literature. You know, we just talked about that study that came out that maybe fasting didn't matter. But I um, I have about 15 papers that suggest that it does matter. Uh, but what I liked about uh, Brad Schoenfeld's work, of course, is he's trying to make it as practical as possible. Like what really happened, not just to their fat oxidation, but what happened to their body fatness. So uh, anyway, so I digress, though. Get some baseline, shave off some calories, probably carbs. And then anything, any, any further you want to go, I think I would try to do it with some of the light cardio. I mean, what are your choices? You can restrict at the mouth. You can do more sets and reps in the gym. Or you could do some type of cardio. I'm not a huge fan. Some volume is great, but I don't like lots of junk reps. I don't know, Phil, if you run into that with people or not. Do you like to have them do sort of the high rep toning stuff, Uh, or are you always keeping the weights heavy and keeping the cardio separate? I
2: keep it pretty heavy and and separate. And basically, what I do is I assign I assign the cardio when they're not with me because I don't need to watch. Pours the shit out of me and them to watch them like drag a sled for an hour. You know, so they come to me. We do the weight training. I keep it fairly heavy throughout. Um, with, of course, there's going to be adjustments. Anytime you're losing weight, and especially if, when you're dealing with strength athletes, there's going to be a fall off at the beginning. Um, but yeah, but well, we keep it as high as we can, but within reasonable measures. Yeah. And then they do the the cardio I've elsewhere.
0: I've always um, had that as success too. And, I, and again. You can look back and see what bodybuilders do and take a hint. You know what I mean? Now, sometimes they do foolish things, but sometimes they're on the mark. And I always kept the weights up. Uh In fact, I would try to keep be able to squat. Now, again, for, for you, Phil, this isn't a lot, or you, John, probably, but I would try to be able to at least do a handful of reps with 405 right up mm-hmm. to the show. Yeah. Because if not, I, would, I was afraid I was losing mass. Yeah, You know, because it's, it's, the old school approach some guys would take is they're all doing sets of 20s, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. I was never one of the really big dudes. I had to hold on to every gram of muscle. So yeah, I, that just
2: never you know, made any sense to me. And it's like it, it when you add it up, like you would see when they're away from competition, they're going heavy and low rep. And then when they're clo- close to competition, they're going light and high rep. And, you know, basically, it's that light high rep work that does all the damage. I think so. Yep. You know, and yep. it has the most potential for growth. So why are you not doing that when you're eating? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And then, you know, the lower rep, lower volume work it does a real good job of holding on to it.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> so
2: I never got that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What about you, John? So if you had to lose, because you're a large mammal, if you had to get, you want to get down to 10 to 12% fat, what's mm. going to be your primary approach? Are you going to do cardio? Or are you going to try to change your, the weight lifting stuff? Or or what are you um, gonna do at would, with the at the dinner table?
3: I would probably do a combination of all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would I would the first thing that I do. I mean I could get probably a lot leaner, really just probably in a <clears throat> two week period just from dropping carbs alone mm-hmm. and not really changing anything with my training. Now, granted, my training sessions wouldn't be intense. I would have to back off the intensity. I probably I, I couldn't lift as heavy, um, but I would probably reduce the I would reduce the intensity and try to keep the volume. You know, moderate to high, and just lower the lower lower the load a little bit, um, and then just do some extra cardio sessions or you know some type of interval training. So it, I don't I don't think people need as, as these extreme approaches as that many people think you need.
2: Oh yeah, that's that's a big one. Is you know most people they go from from nothing to okay, it's time to lose weight, so I'm going to do 700 hours of cardio. I'm going to do six weight. It's like man, start somewhere easy. You know, <laughs> add in two hours of cardio. And eat a little less. Yeah. See where it gets you. you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and that's, that's one thing I've done as I've gotten older, man. I just got older and more mature. It's like I don't need to throw everything in the book at it on well, day sometimes,
3: one. Sometimes that, yeah. Sometimes that's <laughs> way, I mean, regardless of what their <laughs> goal, I mean, you got five or ten things that you think you need to work on. Mm-hmm. Just pick two of them and exactly. do it six weeks, eight weeks. I mean, <sighs> it doesn't seem like it's going to do jack shit. But I mean, it will if you just believe in it, and if yep. you just give it time.
0: You yep. know, you guys, I I tend to follow a twenty to twenty-two week uh, diet period because you got to bring it, you got to take it off slow. I had an old endocrine professor, right hormone prof, and he'd say if you force the body, you try to shove too hard, the body's going to push back with homeostasis really hard. Negative feedback loops and all this stuff are going to ruin you. Uh, So you got it. And for me, I took that to heart. I'm like, well, if I'm going to get rid of body fat, I got to coax it off. And I'll tell you the first four weeks out of that 20 week period is just get rid of all the junk, you know, um, So normally I'll eat stuff like higher fat beef and cheese and, you know, different stuff like that. Cooking with lots of olive oil and, you know, that sort of stuff. And enjoying occasional fast food. I do that like a treat, you know. In fact, just yesterday my son's like, I think we do fast food right, Dad. We do this like it's a treat. But I I don't, you know, as a young man now on his own, he's not wigging out and going to eat a Big Big Mac every meal because he wasn't denied it, you know. But Mm -hmm. so that first month, I just clean it up. I mean, I don't really count too much. I start getting on the treadmill before breakfast, and you know what? There's a practical advantage to that too, behaviorally, because once your day is unraveling, you may not have a hard—you may have a hard time finding time to do both the cardio and your weights. You know, because I don't yeah. want to go to the gym for three hours. Yeah. Um, right. So, no, and it—you know—it just,
2: just, just makes sense too. I mean, that's like I'm working with getting a girl ready to do a bikini competition, and we're 24 weeks out, but she's already started and it's like but she'll be looking good 8 weeks out.
0: You know? No, <laughs> that's we don't a have good point.
2: Yes. You know? Then yep. we're not rushing at the end trying to get something done. It's right. like we're 4 weeks into a 28 week prep phase and she already looks damn good. Yep. You know, it's like pfft, yep. we're on track, you know. We can relax. We can have screw-ups. Now it's like, "Hey, go eat a piece of pie." Yeah. You
0: know, we don't have to freaking worry about it. Yeah, so. when you when I that twenty week countdown, you know, you pick a show, and this is where it's a lot like powerlifting. I'm sure you you pick a show, you put your name on the dotted line, you know, you sign your name, but then your target date is actually about two weeks prior, mm-hmm. you know, and then yeah, like you said, you you should really be at your leanest about two weeks before the show, and not That's hoping it. that you're lean enough and not quite there on the day yeah. of the event, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, last one and then we'll call it a day. This is from a guy named Phil. Uh, Hi, Dr. Lowry. I'm an Iron Radio listener, and I have a question that I thought you might be able to answer. Uh, I'm 5'11", 170. I've been using a plan by Brad Schoenfeld, and we mentioned one of his papers earlier, called Max Muscle Plan. I started out at 150, and after round three of the plan, and again, I'm not familiar with this plan and its rounds, but... Um, I'm up to 170. My post workout shake consists of optimum nutrition, 211 uh, recovery, and I have noticed I have gained some belly fat. Is this because of the post workout carbs I'm drinking? Uh, two scoops of this stuff has 70 grams of carbs. Are post workout carbs even necessary? I can't find a good legitimate answer, so I thought of asking you guys. Also, I'm confused about which is more important to continue to build muscle protein or carbs throughout the day thanks for reading Phil I don't know all right uh coach Stevens what <laughs> would you do with this guy well he's five how
2: much has he gained I
0: didn't notice these he's uh up 20 pounds from 150 oh, well, to 170 well, I mean
2: you're gonna it's not all this isn't you're not living in a magic world I don't care what the books tell you unless you're on a crap load of androgens you gotta expect some fat gain yes you do you know, and that you just gain 20 pounds. If if 10 of that is muscle,
3: you're good, you know,
0: and that's... Yeah. And you, ideally, you won. Yeah,
2: you're a winner. You like
3: be, ideally, you'd like to be 70% lean mass, you know, 30... Yeah, which is great, but type of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah 70 would be ideal, but it's still not... These muscle mags have, have fed people so much misinformation, they think they can gain 100% lean mass, and...
0: You know what, some you know, of this... Let me, let me just define belly fat, though, because, I mean, uh, this, uh, Phil, the listener, he didn't give us very specifics. But if you mm-hmm. mean you're blurring your upper two abs, yes. embrace it. Own it. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. Now, if you're talking about so. it's it's a serious spare tire and it's looking really jiggly, yeah. that's not good. That's probably not and that's, good.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it depends on the level you're talking about. But I And to address the carb thing. I don't have people load up right after training. I just don't. I just never, I tried it and I've done it with people and I never saw any huge benefit out of it. Um, I'll have some people that are trying to gain our big emphasis is on eating before and maybe some kind of drink during, but it's because I'm kicking their asses in the gym and I want them to be able to make it through the session. Mm -hmm. So, and that helps like a Gatorade type drink will help. Um, I've found it will help get them through the session. And after that, I just have them eat normal because you know, they're not going to train. At the most, it's going to be 24 hours later. They're going to train again.
0: That's right. Yep. And
2: they're going to eat at least three or four times before then. And it's, it, and on when they're in a gaining phase, it's going to, it's not going to be low carb. They're going to get plenty of carbs.
0: Well, so. let me offer some history, and then I'm going to ask John. But so the history of this is real, just so listeners know. Post-workout carbs are a thing because in exercise science, back in the 70s and 80s, there were some researchers like Mike Sherman from Ohio State, Kevin Yuraszewski yeah. did some of this, Mark Tarnopolsky did some of it. There were several. Ibi. John Ivy, yep, yep, and they were saying, "Oh, look, you know, you have more." Uh, glycogen synthase, some of the enzyme activity is high. You have GLUT4, which is a transporter that's in a muscle and it goes up and it pulls blood sugar. Those are very active as- after muscular activity. So this is a thing. You will mm-hmm. resynthesize. You'll take up the carbohydrates and you'll resynthesize it into muscle glycogen um, much more quickly in you know the two or three hours after exercise. It's not a window that slams shut, you know, mm-hmm. in two hours, Uh right. but. Phil's point is well taken, which is, unless you've got two a days, you know, is that super rapid resynthesis necessary? So if, if for example you're concerned that you're putting on fat, there's really not that much of a problem. I would think of, you know, have more of like a one to one protein to carbs mm-hmm. afterwards, just so you can start the refueling process. You know that kind of thing. Uh, there are guys like David Barr, of course, which is a friend of the show, and he's. Questioning the whole post workout window period, mm-hmm. you know, because just like those enzymes are turned on to store carbs, protein synthesis is is very active too. You know, yeah. I am a fan of eating pre and post lifts. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're trying to it's, gain it's some weight, yeah. So, what else? Other thoughts from you, John? I,
3: I, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of pre, you know, eating, you know, pre pre and post, I and mean, because I like, I take a pre workout drink now because I used to have. You know, I'll get up and have like a meal, you know, breakfast, and then I'll have a shake, and then I'll typically like have lunch, and then I'll go train, and then when I get back from training, I used to have another, you know, shake, but now since I have my pre-workout or excuse me, that like my peri-workout drink during training. I just come home, okay, and I don't have a post-workout shake. Mm-hmm. I'll just have like a meal. That's yeah, funny. Me too.
0: So, and, and, Me too. Yeah. And yep. of course
3: like, because, well, I mean, I, I take plasma, you know, the, the bio test stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, that has carbs and protein in it. So I don't need to come back home and slam another shake. Mm-hmm. Okay. When, when, I, when. I already have carbs and protein in me, so I'll just come back. You know, shower. I'll have you know dinner, then I'll have another snack afterwards, and have some amino's before I go to sleep. So, um, but I mean, I'm also a bigger guy, so I need a, mm-hmm. most of that food is just for almost caloric maintenance, just to yeah. get in the calories. You know, so.
2: Well, and I'll also add that I think a lot of this too is. It's, it's skewed information because there is a huge difference between the average person looking to get average strong and average lean between that and somebody like ready to get on stage. And you have to micromanage things. I think there is a bigger chance for that. Like if I have a bodybuilder that needs to be fricking 4%, we're going to use that window, (laughs) you know, but you know, they're going to go right. You know, we might slam in some carbs right after. And then, but then it's back to other micromanaged meals. You know, yeah. Um, And, you know, if you're slamming in 140 grams just post exercise and then, OK, now it's mealtime. You're slamming in more of them and then you're slamming in more of them. So, yeah, you might be getting some spillover because of that. If you're going to do that, if you're going to take that huge carb window, then you need to address what are you doing with the rest of your day?
3: Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what I said a few minutes mm-hmm. ago. You know, when that guy w- was was wondering why he's putting on a little body fat. I mean, yeah, you need to um, you need to embrace it when you're trying mm-hmm. to put on mass, but but also too, it's just unless you're on a ton of androgens, it's just very unrealistic to expect 100% lean body mass. Yes, and no, yes. it's unrealistic, people. It's just it's unrealistic. Yes. And it yeah. also depends on what body type you are. Actually, absolutely.
2: You know, I have a kid who. Well, it's his age, too, but he's 20 and freaking lean, you know, but he's always been lean. You know, he walked in as a freshman. He was like 100 pounds. Now he's like 180 and he's 20. And it's like he's just always been lean. And, you know, I was never that way. I mean, I stay fairly lean, but... I always carry some body fat. You know, I'm just a different body type.
3: There's guys that can put on lean body mass and not put on a lot of body yes. fat. And and then it's like, and then you get guys that are also lean that put on a little body fat. And then once they start putting on a little bit, you know, they start to freak out mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh my God. And the, you know, the world's going to come crashing down.
2: They and, add in 14 okay. cardio sessions and drop their carbs. Nothing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right before the good stuff is about to yep. happen. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So I quick tip then for uh this guy, uh, Phil, thanks for the uh question, Phil, is you have some options, right? So you could do the classic you might hear online is four to one carbs to protein in that post workout drink. But you could make that a one to one if you feel like you're not gaining lean mass, you know, or if you know, if you're gaining too much fat and not enough lean or whatever. So, I mean, you can play with that ratio. Nothing's carving this in stone. Some people would say just, you know, if you want to focus on leanness, maybe you just do the protein. Or like John and I were just talking about. That's funny you do that, John. Me too. Is Lately, I've just, because I'm not in really heavy training because I have all these injuries that really... Pissing me off, but the point is, why would I go slam seventy, hundred gram of carbs when I get home? I'm only in the gym for about forty five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think I just I'm not depleted, so yeah. I'll just do a mid workout, you know, um, either a little bit of protein and carbs or just protein. Uh, and if you are hell bent on gaining lots of weight, there's nothing magical about the peri workout thing, like you know you've got to get some carbs, during Except mm-hmm. that it's just more calories over the course of the day. I mean, yeah. why wouldn't you do pre-mid post instead of just pre-post? Throw yeah. in some, uh, even if it's Gatorade or something, just mm-hmm. extra yeah. calories during the session just because there's more calories today.
2: Well, yeah. and also, I mean, I like eating. You know, if I have a choice between a frickin' shake and a steak and a potato, I'm going for that steak and potato. You betcha you know <laughs> yep. so why am i going to waste that opportunity to eat some real good food that not only tastes better but has tons of micronutrients
0: right and when he, and like you said shake. when it's go time yes you could argue whey protein yes. is better than yes. steak protein you know but yes. on a pr- it's it's sort of like the fasted versus fed cardio thing on a very practical level you're probably nitpicking you know mm-hmm. i mean we actually did a study once we just we looked over like a 6 or 8 week period um at different kinds of protein and you know we looked at like beef i think uh egg whey casein and then we compared it to just carbs and even just compared to carbs we couldn't see that much of a difference with yeah. standard you know lab techniques like you're not going to blow past your training buddy because you're drinking a whey shake and he's eating steak mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you it's know good. so we have to be practical here too you know
2: all right guys good show
3: yeah good awesome it's great stuff great stuff
2: i gotta get out so until too. next week everybody Later.
3: All right.
0: Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.